throughout the month of December, our pastor has been talking to us about Christmas. And, and he's been talking to us about Christmas uh, from God's perspective. You know, normally when we, when we think of the Christmas story, uh, we, we think about the story as is told in the Gospels. We, talk, we think about this young lady uh, uh, by the name of Mary and her fiancé, who was Joseph, and, and we think about uh, how God worked in their lives. And, and we remember that there was the angel Gabriel that appeared to Mary, and, and he told Mary, Mary, and this, this is Mary's a little young lady that's probably a teenager. He says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And that baby is going to be a very special baby. And, and you're going to name him Jesus. And he is going to be the son of the Most High. And Mary, Mary says to the angel, but, but I don't understand how that's possible. I'm a young lady that's still a virgin, and I can't have a baby yet. And God's, and, and the angel Gabriel says to Mary, what's going to happen is that God is going to perform a supernatural miracle. Uh, and as a result of that miracle, you're going to conceive a baby. Uh, and then, and then God uh, sends, sends an, an angel to talk to her her fiance, and, and, and he explains the same thing to Joseph. Uh, and then, and then God has, has the emperor of, of, of Rome, a Caesar Augustus, to, to declare that there's going to be a census. And as a result of that census, there's a journey from, from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Uh, and, and it happens in, in Mary's ninth month of pregnancy. And then when she gets to, to, to Bethlehem, uh, she has this baby and the baby's born in a stable. And the, the, the angels uh, appear to the shepherds in the fields and the shepherds go and visit the baby. And there's magi that come from the east. You all know the story. It's the story that's told in the Gospels. And it's, it's the story that is celebrated by Christians around the world during Christmas time. But there is a different perspective. That's, 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 that's the Christmas story as we see it from our perspective. But there's a different perspective. There's Christmas from God's perspective. And that's what, that's what our pastor has been talking to us about during the month of December. And he's called it a cosmic collision. And what he told us was that Christmas didn't really begin when the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she was going to have a baby. Christmas really began all the way back in eternity past, in the heart of God. And that God had decided that he wanted a people. A people that would love him and worship him. And, and, and by their own choice would, would decide that they would, that they would call him their, they would call God their God. And, and that they would spend all eternity loving and worshiping and honoring God. And, and doing the things that bring honor and glory to God. That was, that was, and, and that God could love and, and accept as his people. And that God would look forward to spending all eternity with. That was what was in the heart of God all the way back in eternity past. And in order to accomplish that, God decided, I will create a universe. And I will create that people who will be my people for all eternity. But before the very first moment of creation, before God ever did one thing in creation, God knew in his heart that mankind would not be able to live up to their bargain. 
that mankind would, would fall on their face and, and would fail to be the people that God wanted them to be. That, that they would yield to temptation, they would allow sin to come into their lives, and as a result of that, uh, they would walk away from their, their relationship with God. And God also knew that once they walked away, they would never be able to turn around and come back unless God himself intervened. And so way back in eternity past, in the heart of God, as he desired a people to spend all eternity with, and, and as, he, as he purposed to create this people, God also knew that as I create this people, I must one day I must one day send my son Jesus who will die on a cross so that that people's sin can be forgiven and their relationship with me be restored. And that was Christmas from God's perspective. And, and Paul tells us he gives us a little bit of a snapshot of what that consisted of in the earlier verses of chapter 2. And, 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 and it's sort of like this. It's, it's as eternity was passing, there came a moment When the king of kings, who was seated on his throne and, and was surrounded by, by multitudes of angels, when the king of kings, who was being worshipped day and night and was worthy of honor and glory and praise, when the king of glory decided, I will stand up and I will take off my crown, and I will lay aside my royal robes. And I will go in humble submission and become a man. And I will be obedient to my Father's will, even to death, even the death on a cross. That's what Paul tells us in the earlier verses of chapter 2. That is Christmas from God's perspective. And Paul shares that with us a little bit. And then Paul says, in light of what God has done, he gives us this this theological statement of the incarnation, of, of what it meant to, uh, to have God leave heaven and become man and die a sacrificial death on a cross for us. God gives us a glimpse of that. And he said, and then Paul says, in light of that, there are some practical implications that I want you to be aware of for your life. And that's what he shares with us, beginning in verse 12. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. In verse 12, Paul says, he says, I want you to work out your salvation. Now, and really to understand what he means by that, I think what we need to do is is begin by making sure that we understand what that word salvation means. Paul uses the word differently at different times. The word, the, and, and the way that he uses it perhaps most often and, and most, uh, most common to us uh, is the way he uses it in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 and 9. Do you remember what he says? He says, for, for grace, for by grace, or 
through faith are you saved, right? You, we are saved by grace through faith. And, and, uh, and, and that's uh, uh, never to be considered a thing of works. Uh, it is an act of God. That's, that's sort of the theme of, of, of Ephesians chapter 2, is that we are saved by grace through faith. And, uh, and, and we all understand that, uh, that, that, is, that is something that happened in our past. Uh, it is, and it is often referred to uh, as what we call justification. And, and, and what that means is that, that when, we, when we acknowledge our sins, confess our sins, repent of our sins, uh, and, and then turn in faith to God and ask for his forgiveness based on the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross as my substitute for my sin, that, that in the moment that I do that, we are saved. That's what the Bible says. Uh, that's, and that's one way of understanding the word salvation. And it says that in that moment, that in that moment, uh, that, that a, a verdict is rendered. And God says that, that as of right now, you are not guilty of sin in a future judgment that's to come. That's what justification means, is that God declares that you are not guilty in a future judgment. Romans 8 1 says it, says it like this. There is therefore now no condemnation. For those that are in Christ Jesus. That, so that's, that's one way that Paul uses the word salvation. But salvation is a bigger word than that. And it means more than just that. He also uses salvation to refer to something that's going to happen in the future. He talks about, in Romans, in Romans 13, 11, he says something like this. He says, he says, we are closer now to salvation than we were before. In other words, as Paul thinks about, uh, about salvation, he's looking off at some future event uh, in which we will be saved. And we know when that is. And my guess is, is that we're all looking forward to the day when we will leave this world and, and we will go and be with Jesus and we will enter into an eternity that is perfect, where paradise is restored, where there is no longer sin and, 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 and sickness and disease and, and suffering and, and all of the things that characterize our world, one day we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. So Paul uses, uses the word salvation to talk, about, to talk about something that happened in the past that we also call our justification. And he, and he uses the word salvation to talk about something that's going to happen in the future, what we sometimes refer to as glorification. And then he uses the word salvation to refer to what happens to us between the time that we are justified in the eyes of God and the time when we go to heaven uh, and are uh, completely saved from the presence of sin. And, and it is that, that intermediate period of time between the time when we first accepted Jesus as our Savior and the time that we go to heaven. It's that intermediate period of time um, when we are saved from the power of sin. We are progressively given victory in our lives over the power of sin. And that's what's called, that's what's called sanctification. 
And that's what I think Paul wants to talk to us about. In Philippians 2, 12 through 15. It's the process of sanctification in a believer's life. Now, if you really want to understand what what Paul has to say about sanctification or that, that, that process of gaining a gradual and progressive victory over the power of sin in your life, if you really want to, want to understand how that works, I think you first have to make, uh, make a journey out of verse 12 and drop down to verse 13. Because I think, I think sanctification really begins in verse 13. Do you remember what it says in verse 13? It says in 13, it says, It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That is the secret of living the Christian life and experiencing victory. The secret is, and Greg already told us he's going to talk more about it. The secret is that God dwells in us. That's the secret of the Christian life. And the Bible says, and the Bible says that what happens as, as, we, as we confess our sins and as we repent and as we turn in faith to God, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us and takes up residence in us and then he begins to do something. You remember what it says? You remember what it says in Romans 12 too? It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I want to talk a moment about that word transformed. First of all, let me tell you that that word transformed is in the passive voice. That means that's not something you do to yourself. It is something that is done to you. And, and I'll just let you know that the one that does it to you is God himself. And, and, so, and so God, the Holy Spirit, comes into us. He indwells us. And he begins this transforming process in us. And that word transformed, that, that word is, uh, in, in the Greek, is metamorpho. And I'm probably mispronouncing that. But, but it's, it's, it's the Greek word from which we get our English word metamorphosis. And I think what that means is that, that God doesn't go in uh, to do a few repairs on our lives when we become Christians. That is not what God does. God does a metamorphosis in our lives. He, he takes that old person that we used to be and he transforms us. He, he metamorphoses us. He changes us from something that we used to be to something completely different. Paul talks about that uh, that I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I think one of the things that Paul means by that is that, is that the Holy Spirit of God who dwells in believers now is, is in the process uh, and, and it's the same, the same power that was used to raise Jesus from the dead. And now what he does is he takes that power of God, that supernatural power of God, and he raises Christians up with a new nature to walk in newness of life. So sanctification is first and foremost and always a supernatural act of God. That's what Paul points out to us. And so that's that's what God does in us. But Paul points out that God expects us to be in partnership with him. 
And so while, while God does take the lead and God does do the supernatural work uh, of, of transforming us from the inside, God says there are some, also some things that I expect from you. And I want to share a few of those with you this morning. Back in, back in verse 12. Paul says that I want you to work out your salvation. You know, sometimes... Sometimes the Christian life is characterized by a series of ups and downs. You know, sometimes we're having good days and sometimes we're not. Sometimes we're not having such good days. And while that is, that is certainly true, and that is, that is certainly characteristic of what a Christian life sometimes looks like, I want you to know that that is not what Paul is teaching about sanctification in this passage. Paul says that the Christian life is better characterized as a series of ins and outs. That God works in you to change who you are on the inside, to, to, to change what you want, to change what you desire, to change who you are. God does that transforming miracle inside of you. And then God expects that you will allow these changes that have occurred in you to work their way out into your life as you walk day by day with Him. That is what the Bible says the normal Christian life is supposed to look like. A series of ins and outs. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we don't have ups and downs. We do. But that's not what really the Christian life is about. The Christian life is a series of ins and outs. That God works in us and then we cooperate with that change that God has made in us and we begin to implement that change into the way we live our lives day by day. And he says, in order for that to happen, uh, there are some steps uh, that need to be implemented. The first thing he says is that is that we need to become obedient. Do you hear what he said? My dear friends. He said, first he starts with therefore. And that, that points us back to what he had said earlier, earlier in, in Philippians. It really talks about the, the example that our, that our Lord Jesus said. And what, what did he tell us about Jesus? It says that Jesus, being found in the appearance of a man, humbled himself and became obedient. And then, and then obedient to death, even death on a cross is what it says. And then Paul says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but much more my absence, continue to work out your salvation. In other words, Paul takes this idea of obedience and he ties it to sanctification. You know, sometimes, sometimes when we think about what it means to be a Christian, we, 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 we focus on this word faith. And we think, I need to trust God. I, I, need, I need to make sure uh, that I allow God uh, to do what he wants to do, and I need to get out of the way. But I don't think that's very biblical. Do you guys remember the story? You remember the story of, of Moses and the children of Israel? And, and, and God sent Moses into Egypt, uh, and, he, and he told Moses, 
you know, go and, and, and tell Pharaoh he has to let my people go. And there was this whole series of plagues that happened. And, and finally, Pharaoh allows the children of Israel to leave Egypt. And, 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 and Moses leads this, this large group, I mean, over a million people, this large group of, of, of Israelites out into the desert. Uh, and they are being led by God by a, uh, by a pillar of cloud during the day and fire at night, and they're being led by God across the desert. And God takes them, and he brings them around and down up to the shores of the Red Sea. Remember that? In the meantime, then God hardens the heart of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh then decides, what have I done? I've allowed all these 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 Israelites to escape. I've got to go reclaim them. And so he takes this huge Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the known world at that time, and he chases after the children of Israel, and he catches them on the shore of the Red Sea. And, and the children of Israel are standing there looking at, at an obstacle that they can't cross, and at an army that they can't stop. They are, they are caught in this proverbial uh, place uh, between, uh, between an immovable object and an irresistible force. And they, and they turn to Moses and they say, Moses, what are we going to do? Have you brought us out here in this desert to die? Uh, that, that tragedy has fallen upon us. We're all going to be killed by Pharaoh's army. You remember what Moses said to him? Stand still, he said. And see the power of God displayed. That, sound, that sounds very biblical, doesn't it? That, sound, that sounds very sanctified, doesn't it? You know how God responded to that? I think we miss this sometimes. Because Moses was such a great man of God. And, what, and, 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 and the things that he said were so often, uh, were so often uh, used by God to direct his people. But you know what God said when Moses said, stand still and see the power of God go to work. You know what, you know what God said? Why have you got the people standing around for? Tell them to get moving. You hear that? God said, if you want to see my power, if you want to see miracles performed, if you want to see something that I can do, I can do and only I can do it, you don't stand around and pray and wait on me. You get moving. And you remember what happened? As the children of Israel became obedient and started moving towards that shoreline, following the directions of God, doing the thing that God told them to do, it was then, it was then that God parted the Red Sea and allowed them to walk across on dry land. I think Paul tells us that the very first step in living a life that honors God and causes us to become like God is remembering that the way to walk with God is with both feet. The Christian walk, I think, is perfectly portrayed in the, the old Christian hymn, Trust and Obey. How do you live the Christian life? Well, I believe what God has told me. 
I believe his promises and I believe in his resources and I, I believe that, that he has a purpose and, 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 a, and a place for me in this creation. I, I, I trust in God. My belief is in God. That's, that's step one. But if you want to go anywhere, if you want to make any progress, then you got to add another step. You got to obey God. And if you don't, and if you don't add this step, if you don't obey God, you're not going to go anywhere. The very first thing we have to learn as if we want to grow as Christians, if we want to be the people that God has called us to be, is we have to trust and obey. Because there's no other way. So, Paul begins by pointing out you need to add obedience to your life. You need, to, you need to figure out what it is that God wants and you need to do it. You know, sometimes, sometimes we stand around and we lament what is going on and we say, oh, Lord, our church doesn't have enough people in it. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, Lord, you got you to gotta send the Holy Spirit out into Groveport. And you got to lay it on their hearts. you got to have them come to our church. Lord, we need more people in our church. I'm praying, Lord. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm depending on you, Lord. Send them people. Send us people. Send us people. You know what God says? If you want to see me work in the hearts and lives of people, in this community, then get up and get moving. That's, that's step one. Step two, Paul reminds these believers in Philippi that the, the process of sanctification in a believer's life is a day-by-day journey. If I was reading, if I was reading in the NASB, one of my favorite translations, it would simply say, work out your salvation. But I really do like the way that the NIV translates that. You know what the NIV says? It says, Continue. Isn't that strange? Continue to work out your salvation. You know why it says that? Because it's a translation of a present imperative. And all that really means is that it is a continuing action that God is saying to us that, that becoming more like Jesus Allowing, allowing the characteristics of Jesus to be reproduced in our lives is not something that happens uh, once and then it's done. It's something that has to be worked on every day, day by day. That's, that's, the, that's the idea uh, that, that Paul has here. He says, he says that it's, you know, it's like, like when you go to the gym. How much... I won't embarrass you. How many of you have gym, gym memberships and how many use them? But, no, I'm not going to, but, but, you know, sometimes people, people think, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to get myself a gym membership. And, and maybe even they go the first time and they get introduced to all the equipment. They say, look at all this stuff that we got in this, in this gym. But if you don't go back and you don't, and, you don't, and you don't use those pieces of equipment every day, they're pretty worthless. They're not doing you any good at all. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> there, was a, there was a man 
whose wife was having a baby. And so he decided to take his wife to Lamaze classes. And so they were all gathered together in the Lamaze class. And they had been going for, for, a, for a few weeks. And, and the instructor looked at all the wives and he said to them, you know, if you want to have a safe and healthy delivery, you ought to all get out and do some walking each day. You, ought, you need to get some exercise. And all the husbands that were there to, to encourage the wives said, yeah, honey, that's right. You need to be out walking every day. You need to get out and make sure that you keep yourself healthy. Get out there and walk. And then the instructor said, and husbands, you ought to be out there walking with her. Good for you also. At which point, all the chatter stopped. And, and there, was this, there was this silence that came over the room. And finally, one fellow raised his hand. And he said, I got a question. The instructor said, yeah, Bill, what's up? And he said, you suppose it'd hurt my wife if she carried a golf bag? <laughs> At which time he's the one that probably got hurt. <laughs> it's, it's important. If, if, you want, if you want to be healthy, if you want to be healthy, you need to exercise and you need to exercise regularly and daily. And I'll tell you something. If you want to be healthy as a Christian, if you want to be healthy spiritually, if you want to continue to grow and become the person that God wants you to be, you've got to spiritually exercise every day. You've got to, you've got to allow what God is doing in you work its way out into your life. And you've got to do that every day by being obedient to what he's telling you. So, Paul says, you need to add obedience to your faith. He says, he says you, um, you need to make sure that, that you're on a day-by-day -day journey. And then he says, you need to make sure that you accept responsibility for your spiritual growth. I don't know if you picked up on this. It says, when, when, as Paul started this section, he says, he says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, uh, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Why did he say that? You know, sometimes, sometimes Christians, don't always act the same way uh, in different settings. And I think that, that Paul's point to these Christians in Philippi is that when I was there looking at you, you did the right thing. Make sure that when I'm not there looking at you, you continue to do the right thing. Don't allow, don't allow your motivation to become my watching you. Your motivation should be your personal desire, your personal acceptance of responsibility for your own spiritual growth. Don't pretend to be somebody you're not. You guys remember the story of, uh, and, and it's in the book of Acts. Remember the story of what happened when Paul finished his first missionary journey and he had returned to Antioch to give a report to this, this Gentile church that had sent him on his mission. And, and he returned and he was giving this, he and Barnabas were giving this, this uh, report, to the, this missionary report to the, to the people at Antioch and telling them of how God had been uh, so powerfully at work as he had gone into the Gentile word and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and there were some 
some Jewish believers who came up to Antioch and who began to tell the Gentile believers, well, you can't be a Christian unless you first become a Jew. And, and then, of course, Paul and Barnabas didn't like that very well. Uh, and they said, that's not what the gospel is. And so they disputed him. And they ended up going down to Jerusalem. And there was this big council in Acts 15, this big Jerusalem council. And the decision was made at the Jerusalem council that that is not required. That, that Gentiles and Jews are saved in the same way. Peter had stood up and he had told them about his vision with Cornelius. He told them about how God had led him to a Gentile's house and God had showed him this big sheet uh, and, and, and told him that the things that I call clean don't you call unclean anymore. And, and, and God had used that in Peter's life to let him see that God was calling Gentiles to himself and that, that there was no other requirement. There was no other requirement except of faith and repentance in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that was settled in the Jerusalem Council. But that's not the story I want to talk about. The story I want to talk about happened a little while later. And, and Peter decides to make a trip to Antioch. And, and while he's in Antioch, Paul tells us about this in Galatians 2, and while he's up there at this Gentile church in Antioch, uh, there are some people from this Jerusalem church, these Jewish believers, um, these what they're called Judaizers, they show up and Peter, remember, remember who it was that stood up in the Jerusalem council, Peter decides, oh, maybe I, can't, maybe I can't associate with these Gentile believers after all. So he goes and, 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 he, and he separates himself from the Gentile believers, the people that he's there to, to support and to encourage. He separates himself from these Gentile believers and, and he begins to associate only with these new Jewish believers. And his influence as Peter was so strong that he began to draw all the other Gentile Christians away in Antioch. And, and Paul tells us that it was so strong that not only did he draw the other believers, he, he, he drew away the pastor, one of the pastors of, of, of the church at Antioch. He drew away Barnabas. And Barnabas start, stopped associating with the Gentile believers. And Paul, you know what Paul said that was? He said, that's hypocrisy. Shame on you. That's hypocrisy. You know what hypocrisy means? And you know the word that's translated hypocrisy uh, uh, from, from the original language? It, it is the idea of, of an actor, a Greek actor, who would use a mask to pretend to be something that he wasn't. And Paul looked at Peter and the other, and probably Barnabas, and probably other, those other Jewish believers, and he said, you're acting like hypocrites. Pretending to be something you ought not to be. And, and I think, I think that, that Paul, what he said to Peter, is something we ought to remember, that we ought to be remembering as 21st century Christians. That there ought not to be any difference. There ought not to be any difference in the way we behave on Sunday and the way we behave on Monday. That God is dishonored. God, God is unhappy. When we pretend to be something we're not. When we fail to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and our hearts and our lives belong to Him. When we, when we are ashamed of that in the places that we work, in the places that we live, in the schools that we attend, I'm telling you God is dishonored and He is unhappy. And, and, and the words of Paul apply to us when He calls us hypocrites. Paul says, if you want to grow, if you want to be the people that, that God has called you to be, you've got to accept responsibility for living every day in the way that God wants you to live and not pretend 
uh, that you're something that you're not. And then the final thing that Paul says He says, you need to avoid sin in your life. You know, and I I, I don't want to go on too long about this, but I've seen some moral decline. I won't talk about how many years of my life. uh, But but I've I've seen some moral decline happen in our country uh, over, over my lifetime. You turn on the TV... And it's, it's full of, of sex and violence and profanity. And that's in the news. And the commercials, let alone the programs. And you have movies that come out. I, a few years ago, there was this movie come out, I, Fifty Shades of gray, of gray or something like that. I, a disgusting movie. A reflection of what our society has become. And, and, and music, the lyrics of, of, of many of the, of the songs that, we, that they're, they're, you can, and, and, the, and schools, uh, you know, their, their, their position now is is that you not only can't talk about God, but belief in God is a weakness and foolishness. And, uh, and, and it's a reflection of where our culture has become. And, and I want you to know something. I, I'm never really surprised. You know, some people, some people really, really get upset. Oh, what terrible things have happened to our society what terrible things are going on in America? America's gone down the tubes. Well, maybe that's true. But that never surprises me. I'm not surprised that a lost world has no fear of God. That doesn't surprise me at all. But I'll tell you what does surprise me. Is how little fear of God there is in the church. And how much, how much our church... imitates our society. And we fool ourselves into thinking that God is not upset by Christians who allow sin to enter their everyday lives. I'm telling you that that God is a holy God. He is a God that is righteous in all that He does. And He has called us to be what? A holy people. And he is offended. He is offended by the sin that we allow to creep into our lives. We need to remember some things about sin. First of all, sin is deceitful. It never delivers what it promises. It's destructive. It's like a poisonous snake. And, and if you play with it, if you play with it, just like a poisonous snake, it will bite you and it will poison your life. And it's dangerous. Sin is an affront to a holy God. He is offended by his people when they deliberately rebel against him and sin. And we say, well, God loves me. And that's right. Nothing's ever going to change that. And nothing's ever going to change your position with God. God's always going to love you. And God's never going to forget you. But I'll tell you this. The Bible says those whom he loves, he chastens. You don't want God's chastening. Because it can get severe. God says, God says, I expect my people to be a holy people. And so Paul tells us, if you want to, if you want to be, come like our Lord Jesus. You need to add faith 
to your obedience. You need to practice what God has told you day by day. You need to accept responsibility for your own spiritual growth. And you need to avoid sin in your life. And he says, and when you do that, and when you do that, you'll begin to look more and more like God every day. That God will work in, his, work in your life and he will transform you. He will create a metamorphosis in you. And you will become more and more like Jesus. Now, why does he do that? Why didn't, God, why didn't God just take us to heaven and transform us immediately? Why did God leave us here to, to, to go through the sanctification process here in this life when it is slow and gradual and sometimes painful? Why did God do that? Because there's something that he wants from us. He, and Paul tells us how God can use us. Do you see what he said? In verse 14, he says, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. That's what God wants from us. You know when stars are the brightest? When the sky is the blackest. My wife's been after me. Uh, she wants to go stargazing. And she's been after me to take her uh, over, to, uh, over to Pennsylvania to, I think, it's, is it Cherry Creek? What, Cherry Creek State Park or something like that? Uh, and it's, it's a remote state park that's in north-central Pennsylvania. Uh, it's about 82 acres large, but it's surrounded by 260,000 acre, 260, acres of of state forest. And it's very, very remote. And, and, and the sky is pitch black. And on a clear night, you can see, you can just see all of God's universe. It's the beautiful stars. And the darker it is, the brighter those stars seem to shine. And the more definition that you have, I want you to know something. That's what God wants from our lives. He wants us to go out into a crooked, crooked and depraved generation, as Paul calls it, into a, into a lost and needy world that is full of sin and darkness. And he wants us to shine like stars. He wants there to be something different about our lives that attracts attention. He wants, he wants people to look at us and say, there's something different. And the difference is God. And, and, and then he goes on, and you know what he tells us? It's not, it's not just that he wants us to look good, and he wants us to, to get people's attention. Do you know what he says? Because when you shine like stars, he says, you can then hold out to the world that's filled with darkness, the words of life. And that really is what God has called us to do. And so God is in the process of making us like Jesus. Step by step, day by day. So that our lives stand out in a dark world. And so that we get the opportunity to tell the world what's different about us. Nikki Haley, our UN ambassador, a few months back, held a conference uh, on uh, human rights in North Korea. And that, that conference was hosted by, by the United States and Great Britain and France uh, and Canada, uh, Japan, South Korea. There were several hosts at that conference. And one of the speakers... Uh, that spoke at that conference was a, was a young woman by the name of G. Uh, Yon A. And I'm probably slaughtering her name, but, but it was G. Yon A. And she told about, about the horrors of, of uh, how she had been, she had three times she'd escaped from North Korea and had gotten into China only to be captured and forcibly repatriated with, with 
the North Koreans. And it talked about, about uh, how terrible the suffering was. Uh, and she talked about how, how women uh, in these camps uh, who were expecting babies, uh, how they would be forced to work hard all day long. And then at night, they would be, you would hear them screaming. Uh, and, 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 and there were babies that were dying. And she talks about how, how on the third time she was captured, that, that she was given a forcible abortion. Uh, and, and they took her baby, and she never got to tell her baby that she loved her or that she was sorry for what was happening to her. Uh, it says that she eventually escaped in 2007 and made her way into South Korea. And, and she wrote a poem, and I want... She, actually, she, she, she read this poem and I, I, at this conference, and I want to read this to you for just a moment. It's, it's a short poem. It says, it's called, Is Anyone There? She said, I am scared. Is anyone there? I'm here in hell. Is anyone there? I scream and yell, but no one opens the door. Is anyone there? Please listen to our moans and listen to our pain. Is anyone there? People are dying. My friend is dying. I call out again and again. Why don't you answer? Is anyone there? As we, as we move from 2017 into 2018, friends, there is a lost world. And I promise you that if some of those that have died could call back to us, they would cry out, why don't you care? Isn't there anyone there that cares? I want you to do something for me this morning. And I know I'm over time and I apologize. I believe in my heart. I've been praying about this all week. I believe in my heart that just about everybody in here has someone that they know that they care about that is lost. I believe that. And, and, and I believe you've probably prayed about it. I believe that you've been asking God and telling God, God, please open their eyes and their hearts. Please, Lord. Please. I, I, don't, want, I don't want them to be separated from you forever. But I want you to know, I believe in my heart that God is saying to us this morning that if you want to see my power at work, if you want to see me do what only I can do, if you want to see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to see that name that is on your heart right now, except the Lord Jesus in 2018, then you need to make yourself available to me and ask me to give you opportunities to go and shine like a star and give them words of life. I believe God will honor that if you'll talk to him about it. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that, that you have reminded us that we are not to be uh, stalemated here in this life and that we are not to ignore what it is that you are doing in this world and that, and that you have called us for a specific purpose and that you want us to become more and more like Jesus and not so that others can look at us and say, look how great they are. The point is, is you want us to become more like Jesus so that this dark world, this lost and dying world can see that you can change a life, that you can make us into something new. And as, and as the world sees that, we get opportunities to share with them the words of life. 
Lord, convict our hearts. Help us to answer the call. When, when, when someone is crying out, is anyone there? Let us say, yes, I love the Lord, and I am here to tell you about him. Father, help us in our time of invitation to make decisions and commitments that honor you. We commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. If, if there is anyone here that doesn't know our Lord Jesus and would like to talk to me about that, please, please come see me during the invitation or after church. 